And we're live with our 87th episode of Absolute Absec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host, Seth Law, at Seth Law on Twitter. Seth, say hi. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Absolute Absec. Uh, we're excited to join you this week. We've got Abhay on, a uh, good friend of ours that we've been seeing at you know, conferences for years, right? Like that seems to be where, where we, we run into each other and go hang out because we're always the, the traveling contingent. So yes, <laughs> uh, so we'll have a, a good discussion with Ape on all sorts of things. Um, I, don't, I don't think we have a lot of news um, or stuff that we need to cover uh, today. Um, outside of the, the Black Hat class, obviously we want to promote that. Uh, that you know, we'll be giving our you know a next level bug hunting code edition. Right, that's that's what it's called at Black Hat. But it's our secure code review course. We're going to be digging in. We got a special version uh, primed and ready for Black Hat. So uh, please consider us if you're going to be there. I'm pretty sure Abhay is going to be there as well. Uh, or maybe, yeah. <laughs> he, he's yes, uh, we're we're doing two programs there. So yeah, we're definitely Sweet. going to be there. Yeah. What uh, what programs are you giving? So one is our DevSecOps one. We have, uh, last time we did the four-day uh, masterclass, DevSecOps masterclass. That was like a pretty intense class. Uh, it was, it went really well. Uh, this year, we come back with the same class with a little bit more content, obviously a lot more updates from last year. And we also add a new class called the Kubernetes Security Masterclass. So we kind of oh, give nice. like a two-day Kubernetes deep dive, attacking, defending both, you know, both perspectives just to see how, no, just for people to understand how it can get compromised at the same time, how it can be protected against said compromise. So that's cool. essentially what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah I mean, both two days? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's two days. Yeah, okay. yeah, two, Kubernetes is two days, yeah. Cool, awesome. Yeah, I mean, Kubernetes is, yeah, that's one of those, so hot right now, right? So hot. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, know, it's like wait, that Zoolander meme, right? So hot. Yeah, right it's so hot right now. <laughs> we always have a discussion about, do you really need Kubernetes, right? Like that's, but you know, you should secure it if you have it for sure. So yes, um, definitely. Yeah. yeah. I, the other thing that we've been running into, I, I mean, I like I haven't been booking a lot of, uh, I will be at B-Side Salt Lake City in a couple of weeks, right? That's that's a local conference for me here. Um, we've been loading in. I've been loading a whole bunch of B-Sides events into Hacker Tracker lately. Everything right. from Van Vancouver, I think, was last weekend. But we've got San Diego and a whole bunch of others that are coming up, um, mm -hmm. which, which is super good. Like, if anybody out there is going to a conference and is interested in loading it into Hacker Tracker and it's not there, just let me know. I'll reach out to the organizers and we'll get it set up. It's not hard for us anymore. We got the process pretty well dialed in at this point. Um, but I, I, I do like, and I'll pay, I kind of wanted your your uh, take on this, right? We we were mm -hmm. talking to it a little bit pre-show is the whole, you know, COVID-19 coronavirus stuff that's going around and how it's, it's right. killing travel for everyone. I mean, I was at, yes. uh, well, I was at B-Side San Francisco and then RSA and everybody obviously mm -hmm. backed out of RSA. Um, yeah. I think it had like 50% less folks this year. Is that right? I, I didn't attend, so I don't know. Yeah, see, that's just it. You didn't attend, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I never attend RSA. So that's <laughs> I was going to say, was that because of the virus or because it's RSA? No, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it, it was RSA this time. I, I was kind of traveling a lot, so I decided not to do RSA anyway this year. Oh, okay. I did attend like last year, but not, not this year. Yeah, yeah, it is hilarious with your travel. Like, we'll 
we were walking on the streets of Tel Aviv, just running into you, like Melbourne, Austria. It's just <laughs> yeah, like yeah. we always like run into each other in these like, random locations around the yeah. world. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it definitely travel a lot. RSA. So I I didn't actually go walk the floor or anything because I was there for Beside San yeah. Francisco. I saw some people on Tuesday and then I split. I didn't stay for the full conference either, right? Like you know, I wasn't right. planning on it, and but it didn't feel quite as crowded. As it has yeah. in years past, um, so yeah, I, I heard a lot of folks, especially some of the sales folks, say that they were actually able to have meaningful sales conversations, conversations yeah. this time around, this time around rather than before because it was not as crowded and they didn't have to fight for floor space. Is what I heard. Yeah, yeah. that's interesting. In fact, yeah, in fact, a lot of stuff has gotten cancelled. Right, I was just telling Ken as well. Uh, Singapore uh, Black Hat uh, cancelled. Uh, then there was another event connected to Black Hat at the time, that's gotten canceled. I was supposed to speak at SecApp Dev next week in Belgium, that's gotten canceled. So it's kind of been like back-to-back -back cancellations. I think they canceled a whole bunch of mobile uh, events, so on and so forth. Lots, lots have been canceled. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know. Like part of me, like I understand they're trying to like the health organizations are trying to get a handle on it and how serious it actually is. You know, mm. the numbers that I see, it's, you know, it definitely spreads, but you know, influenza and flu are just as bad, right? Like when it comes down to it and it's just the new, it's the new kid on the block that everyone's afraid of, right? But, I think it's it's the fact that I don't think it has an antidote yet is what people are freaking yeah. out about. I think yeah. that's the bigger thing rather than, I, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm not a, epidemiologist or somebody who is even remotely qualified to speak on this, but <laughs> I think that's what... So, so give us your professional opinion. As someone who deals <laughs> with computer viruses from time to time, what is your take on a coronavirus? It's basically the same thing. It's basically the same thing, you know. It's, it's a virus that my uh, wife and kid are finding great because they, they don't see me get out of the house much. <laughs> there you go, yeah. <laughs> that's my professional opinion. <laughs> Dude, I have an awesome tweet for that that uh, from Steve Reagan about like speaking of uh, professional opinion. Let me put this link out. Uh, yeah, but like, yeah. So like, if you see that uh, tweet, but it basically says doctors googling stuff. Doctors googling stuff yeah. online does not make you a doctor. Programmers, yeah. like, yeah, oh yeah, that was, yeah, that was that was funny. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, because that that, that pretty much makes it right. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's pretty. pretty it's, it's pretty true to form right now. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, like, yeah, it seems like travel and conferences are going to be affected for at least the next, uh, you know, couple of months. I, that was one yeah. thing we were wondering about: is what's going to happen with Global AppSec Dublin? Because I know like, yeah. that's you know that's, that's one of those. If it's far enough out, or if it's still going to be. That's yeah, in that's in June. Is that in May or in June? June. May, that's in June. Oh, June. Oh, okay. Yeah. I uh, yeah. Oh, no idea. I don't know how. Yeah, the, it, it's uh, just it's far enough out that it could very well just be you know oh, yeah. okay by then it, it'll calm back down and everybody will be back in or you know or all international travel will be banned everywhere and you know we'll have to. I, I don't. I don't think they can on. do that. Can they? Can they ban all international travel? I don't. I'm not sure that that they can, that they can do that. I think they can do whatever they want, but yeah. <laughs> I suppose. Yeah. So anyway, so yeah, we'll see. Um, hopefully, you know, things will calm back down and we'll get back on the circuit. 
Um, but outside yeah. of that, you know, at least we can we can talk virtually. You know, yes, I think this is like the. Uh, I was just, in fact, discussing that remote work is probably going to become the the in thing now with all of this going on. People who are not able to do it now are going to have to do it and figure yeah. that out. So yeah, I was actually just talking to more Peter. Yeah, yeah, more like people more. need that to be yeah. more more introverted. Yeah, no, I was actually just uh, talking to um, Peter from Secure Code Warrior uh, like a couple days. What's the Tuesday? You may have known it was yesterday, and he was like keeping like promoting people kind of staying away from the office and just working remotely for that reason. Just like right. don't spread anything. But yeah. like I, you know, it's funny we're talking about the coronavirus, but this year has been a very nasty flu season too. So like, you know, at, at least in the U.S., that's been a, a very problematic. Uh, for, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, like uh, by the way, I'm so happy this finally happened because this is our. I feel like it's our 40th attempt at trying to get this <laughs> like to to work because just our schedules were like kind of all wacky yeah. and out of sync and so we tried to make this happen and i i think maybe there was an illness or something also i don't know i don't remember but yeah i'm, pre- I'm just pretty happy sure that we finally I, I got your time it. yeah the last well, one was me though uh because, because of the coronavirus because i was flying through hong kong and i had to change my tickets so, out. uh that was on feb 11th so yeah i had yeah. to reschedule and you know that's that was a little bit of a mess yeah. No, no. Like I, I'm just happy to see it happen. When we talked in Melbourne, you had, I mean, there was a wealth of knowledge um, that you that you have trapped up in that brain of yours, um, and lots of experience. Um, and I think that's really like what we want to, yeah, we want definitely want to pull some of that out today. See what we yeah. can sure extract. Whatever, whatever I can pull out. <laughs> Yeah, Sweet. but also like really practical, realistic sort of experience. So that's awesome. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Um, yeah. So uh, I think the first thing, like the 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 one item that we had kind of from the news was that the OWASP Threat Dragon tool dropped. Well, the version one dropped this week. So All right. um, like supposedly it's stable. Um, if you haven't used it, it's kind of a... a uh, I want to say knock folder. That's a German word, though. That doesn't help us. It's a descendant of Microsoft's threat modeling tool, or it's inspired by it, right? But it's an open mm-hmm. source uh, tool to help actually do threat models and uh, use like UML diagrams and actually give you something to start from when you're doing right. a threat model. Um, right. Have either of you played with it at this point, or I I had played with it probably uh, two years ago, not recently, no. But when I had used it, I, I think it had the Electron app even back then. Um, uh-huh. But I personally, I'm not much of a threat modeling with diagrams guy. I don't know. Uh, I have a slightly different take on threat modeling rather than overdoing the whole diagrams thing. Yes, diagrams are useful, but uh, most of the tools that I see uh, tend to be extremely diagram heavy. So, uh, yeah. and I think that doesn't work in an agile slash DevOps style setup because you don't have time to create diagrams. I mean, you you need to kind of get into it really fast. And I've seen that, uh, especially with the kind of uh, engagements that I've been doing over the last maybe a year, year and a half, I've seen that uh, a different approach works much better than a purely diagrammatic style approach. Yeah, and uh, like 
Ken and I talk about this quite a bit in the code review course as well, because that's that's mm -hmm. one of the first things that we do with the code base is, hey, you sit down and you get to know it, and then we we perform basically a mini threat model, like in the in the fashion that you're exactly. talking about. It's like, right. no, we're we're not talking like full threat actors to everything. It's like, all right, what are you concerned about here? What is it that I right. should be looking at? And right. um, yeah, I, I think all of the diagrams kind of come from the old waterfall. You know, yeah. development methodology, right? And it like it, we're we're trying to shoehorn a lot of that in. It's not to say yeah. that it's not useful to do at some point, especially if you're building a new product or something like that. Um, right. But what what I've uh, in fact I I teach a lot of threat modeling, and some of the things that I've started to teach are story driven models. So essentially, okay. story first, right? Look at the so when you're doing an agile sprint, you're going to do a sprint planning meeting. That's probably what you're going to do. So in a sprint planning meeting, you take up user stories and you start with the story. So you know, a login feature or whatever feature, you take the story, you break it down to abuser stories. So you say that, hey, this is a user story. How can this be at a high level abused? And then you break it down into specific vectors and say that this abuse can happen with a IDAR, this can happen with an injection, this can happen with a what have you, right? So that's like a quick and dirty one hour kind of a threat model that you should be able to get done right then and there rather than have to sit on it for like days because the diagram thing the paradigm itself kind of makes sure that you do it a long time right so you sit and you you take a while to get this may not be perfect but this gets the job done fast it also gets like cross-functional visibility right so uh you get it the developers get to understand the architects get to understand it's done it's done in an hour rather than you sitting on it for days and days and days yeah, that's so when we were talking about this beforehand, I'm actually trying to get developers to do that, like not so because we do our own threat modeling. And like Seth said, it's it's not I don't, I don't know, like, I don't know if it's a formal threat model necessarily. It's more like, no, um, it, yeah, based on your tech stack behavior, yeah. data at play, stuff like that. Like, OK, these are things to think about. Um, yeah, so it's not the full traditional threat model yeah. but yeah. like what i would like to see is and I, and I think we've all agreed upon this at work is we'd like to see more of the developers take ownership of that so that they like from the if you're creating a new microservice or creating a new feature whatever like you think about it as you're just like going through that exercise but it's kind of hard to like pass that that information along it's just i don't have an answer i'm just wrestling with it but um I don't know if a right. tool like this would help or, you know, you you, fact, were mentioning years, you, you you kind of have some insight there. Yeah, in fact, two years ago, uh, we built out a tool. I'm just going to share that in the private uh, thing. So okay. this is uh, an open source thing that we built out uh, two years ago. And this is kind of based on uh, stuff that we did for pen testing projects, right? So uh, when we started doing pen testing projects, we start off with a threat model, of course, our threat models when we do pen testing is offensive, right? So we look at a feature, we kind of break it down into things that we can do and uh, break it down into vectors that we can use to test for it. So we kind of break it down into security test cases, if you will, right? So this tool that we built called Threat Playbook was kind of like that. So you can capture story-driven threat models as code, like in a YAML, and mm -hmm. you can parse it and you can also link like vulnerability results into it. So you can actually see 
what is the coverage of your threat model and so on and so forth. So you can get a zap result in or a code scanner and you can map it against the threat model and see that, you know, these are the kind of, uh, you know, results that are kind of being mapped out against this threat model. So this is something that I've been working on kind of on the side. It's not really, uh, it's an open source project, so I've not been able to give it as much time as I'd like. But uh, yeah, this is something that uh, I'm doing a lot of this month. In fact, since all the travel has been canceled, I'm hoping to actually sit and get a little more traction done on this particular thing. I've also put in the, um, the because on, on the page, on the GitHub page, there's a link at the top in the description, but in case people, like there's a whole intro GitHub IO, uh, yeah. it's GitHub pages intro with a video description um, of it. Yeah, I spoke about this in AppSec US 2018 as well, this 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 tool and this approach. So yeah, this was, yeah, it's, it's interesting, but I think it still needs a little bit of time to kind of permeate down to uh, people who are doing it, especially since you want developers to own it, it's always going to take a little bit of extra time. It's not always going to be uh, super fast. I think I found the uh, YouTube video as well. Yeah. So if you want to watch, um, yeah, it's your 2018 AppSec USA talk, uh, threat model as code. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it, I can, you know, what's funny is you had mentioned not having time for diagrams, but what's funny is for our developers, they definitely build diagrams. There's usually a docs folder, you know, mm -hmm. with, uh, some good info there. And that's, I mean, part of what Seth and I talked about is like reading those docs because somebody put them together. There's probably a good reason for that. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it's like impossible time-wise for that to happen. Um, mm -hmm. It's maybe more of just a, a training thing perhaps, but I'm not sure like. Mm -hmm. yeah, no, I, I, the, way, the way I see it is that Yes, I mean, diagrams are great if you can have them or, I mean, I, I my point is don't get too caught up in the diagram, right? I mean, don't look for the perfect description in your diagram because that's going to take, especially in a company where you don't really have that kind of process. Let's say you just have docs and you have a slightly more ad hoc process. A lot of times you don't have the, you know, the whole discipline of doing a lot of great UMLs or whatever diagrams that you want to do. So get started somewhere don't waste time trying to make it perfect get started and then you know iterate along the way yeah i yeah it's i don't know like i i i feel like what ken's saying like the training what you're saying like you iterate as you go mm -hmm. um, it makes the most sense um like it's always been at least when i've been in an organization it's always been one of those yeah, yeah, we'll get to it eventually type things, right? right? And right. it always gets put on the back burner because of features, right? Let's be honest, you know, it's... Yes. And, and so trying to shim something in there that is, hey, at the very least, we're thinking about like the abuse cases, like you're talking, the abuser cases, right? So yeah. during sprint planning, even if it's only 30 seconds, at least you're saying, hey, this could be abused this, these three ways so that there's yeah. something that, pop, that bubbles up um, yeah. is, is better than you know, the, hey, we put it into our, you know, InfoSec playbook yeah. or whatever you want to call it and that we're going to yeah. do threat modeling and then you get the auditors in there. They're like, okay, show us the docs. And you're like, uh, yeah. yeah, we don't have those, right? Mm -hmm. So 
I, yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, Ken, are you getting traction there? Or is it all dependent on the ProTSEC team over for you guys? No, we haven't really started it. Um, we've only done it in so much as when we have... So there's like this process where you submit a security review, which means everybody from security gets eyes on whatever you want to build. And then there's an individual AppSec review. When it hits pretty much those two points, it's kind of around the same time. We'll do a meeting to discuss whatever is being built. And so that's been kind of our early entry into here's what the questions we're asking. Here's sort of like uh, why we're asking this, uh, things to think about. And so that's been kind of like uh, kind of like a soft intro into what, you know, into the minds of threat modeling and AppSec, but uh, we don't have formal training yet. And the documentation, I'm actually in charge of working on that right now um, to make it to like sort of, this is why I say I'm, I'm struggling with it because it's, it's kind of hard to, yeah, to like pass that info along to people. But I do think it's a useful, more useful exercise or at least as useful exercise for those developers because they're the yeah. they're the ones you're going to have to be thinking about all these things throughout the process of building that code, and if they're already there and already thinking about it, cool. Like we can avoid a bunch of things. So, and then and then the rest of it's maybe just like minor because I'm sure you both have had this experience. If the major architecture risks are addressed early on, then all the like other stuff that comes along, all the minor stuff, it's easily corrected. It's kind of like what we're there for. We're kind of like the cleanup crew to just do like a review and see, okay, that, that little thing that that some of it's just defense in depth things that we add and we report on, but most of the big yeah. risky things happen up front. Yeah, I agree. In fact, uh, if that's what that's the thing I've started to see, especially as we do feature modeling, because if you do that, then the kind of the the big ticket items get addressed early on so the the big flaws the authorization flaws the big you know injection flaws the, all of that stuff gets addressed early on and later sprints you actually find that you're only looking at very specific business logic or very specific uh you know very specific flaws that you know have already been baseline the other stuff has already been baseline you're only looking at stuff that uh, you've probably missed out or very specific to that feature or something like that. So that's something that I have seen. Uh, in fact, recently I was working with a oil and gas company that, and oil and gas, it's extremely non-tech, right? I'm, they're not really yeah. uh, the yeah. most tech savvy folks on uh, on the planet, but they've taken to this process so well, I was really happy to see their prod teams actually just get into the meeting and just start this process. and through three sprints, we saw that they had pretty much dealt with all the low-hanging fruit stuff and they were focusing only on the authorization stuff, the business logic stuff, stuff that would affect that feature or that aspect of the feature. So, yeah, just, uh, you know, another viewpoint. Yeah, no, no, no. It's, it, it, that, so when things get, yes, when things get introduced later, there are sometimes... Like, though, you know, there's definitely the chance that things get added that are insecure or like insecurely called. But yeah, the, the architecture and risk I found like more as, I don't know, more time into this career field, more experience, whatever. I've definitely found that if you can architect most of that stuff securely up front. And when I say like, it's not even, it's not even just like securely. It's, it's, it is, but it's sometimes just good development practices 
Yeah. I mean, I was talking to Leaf yesterday about this and uh, Leaf from Segment. And he was yeah. uh, he was saying like, basically we're talking about how Seth has, has these, Seth and other friends, sorry, I'll just say other people besides Seth. Uh-huh. I don't want to lump you in. Have clients with different, different types of development standards and different, <laughs> I don't know how to word this any other way, but we're lucky. Here's what I'll say. Leaf and I are lucky to work with amazing developers, top-notch developers. Yeah. Um, that, that is really the, the first part of security is like, if you, if you work with great developers, it's a little far less likely that the code's going to be just a shit show. It's like horribly. So there's your first line. What we do, I feel like is a lot of just AppSec is a lot of cleanup. That's what I feel like it's, it's, it is for me. It's just like a lot of corralling, a lot of cleanup, some visibility, some like, Hey, let me just give some input here, there, whatever. And it's not, it's the job to me is not as important as what, um, or it, 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 how, I don't know. I don't know how to say this, but it's just like, I feel like the, the developers are the, the, the more important part of this equation. They're your customers. Yeah. That's, that's the way I see it. I mean, they're your customers, right? The developers are your customers. So if you are able to render services that make their life easier, then I guess we're solving most of the problems, actually speaking. Speaking of, we should probably, we should probably like speaking of developers and like roles, maybe we should just talk for a second. We should properly introduce you. So Abe is the founder and CTO of We45. Now, this is the thing you guys do in-person training, but you don't, you, I think you were mentioning you also have, I mean, so, well, yeah, you obviously have some product, you have um, consulting, you've grown quite a bit. You're like, uh, I think you had said 56 something people i can't we're, yeah yeah we're about 40 uh people now uh, 40 people give or take yeah. fairly sizable pointed, for yeah yeah what for the yeah it's a fairly sizable firm so yeah. you guys have yeah. how i honestly i did i had no idea until you, you we were kind of just i was asking you more and more about like just the because you your your business is so like very your you, and you yourself are super involved which is amazing because you don't always see that you know sometimes People are a little, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes people are a little hand, hands yeah. off, but you're not. You're definitely hands on, for sure. Yeah. So yeah, the uh, thing is, yeah. a lot of what I do is research, so it's I kind of have to be that way, and I like being that way. It's kind of yeah. fun being that way, so <laughs> just works, I guess. Yeah. So people seem. I mean, your your DevOps master class is all, like your your classes are always super packed. So you're doing something right on that front. <laughs> you, <laughs> Yeah. No, I think we've really worked on the labs quite a bit and we had a lot of realistic like stuff into it. So it, uh, I think it resonates with a lot of folks and uh, we've constantly tried to come up. In fact, our labs have gotten full cloud now. So uh, things have, you know, we've kind of kept pace with a lot of stuff that's happening. Yeah. What was it like when you first started the company? What was like the early sort of days like for you? Clueless. For the first two years, uh, I was 22. <laughs> I was oh, 22 wow. when we started. Yeah, so I was completely clueless. Uh, for the first two years, we were just kind of shooting in the dark and trying to figure out what it is that we do in the first place. And then, you know, after two years, we kind of got into a sort of comfort zone uh, where we started to figure out what we wanted to. And 
So we, we, we start off as a very generic InfoSec company, right? You know, you can do compliance, we do policy, we do all of that stuff. Then we slowly started removing stuff that we don't like to do. So we definitely didn't like to do compliance work. So we immediately kicked that out. Uh, we like to do a lot of AppSec work. So we kept that in. And so we slowly started to figure out what our niche was. And we settled into AppSec in about, I would say, 2013. Uh, around 2015 was when we started to see DevOps, uh, you know, kind of pick up the pace, especially because uh, early on, we started seeing the use of Chef and Puppet and Salt Stack and all of these folks. And that's when we realized that, hey, you know what? Nobody's thinking about this so much, especially from a security perspective. This was 2015. So uh, not like it is now where everybody is talking about it. But 2015, we had still not seen the proliferation that was, you know, uh, the current DevSecOps space, so to speak. So uh, that's when we started talking about it. Uh, I think we did our first OWASP training in 2016 in DC, uh, so your neck of the woods. Uh, so, yeah. so that was when we did our first training. It was it, it had like sixty people. So obviously uh, there was a lot of need for that back then. A lot and of even now. So, yeah, yeah. So yeah, no. De well, now there's DevSecOps conferences. Yeah, <laughs> that one a couple months ago, <laughs> or now is that a few months ago? My gosh, time is passing. DevSecOps was that the Boston one? Uh, no, this is this was uh, although again, there's so many that are popping up. There, this was a uh, DevSecOps days in Austin. Oh, Austin, yeah. yeah, oh yeah, yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was James Wickett, Ernest, uh, Carthage. Yes, yes, there's, yeah. So yeah. no, that was that out. was. I think that looked like a actually a good one. Uh, it seemed like it was run by people who knew that, what they were doing. So they definitely know what they're doing. It, it was enjoyable. I had a good time, but I think it was only it was only one day, right, Seth? Yeah. Yeah, it was only one day. I mean, it, it, there was some good stuff that went on. It was single track as well. So okay, <laughs> but it was. I mean, it was fun. It was interesting to talk to everybody and kind of get that. Yeah, I, I mean, like you said, right? It's it's just blown up so much. Everybody's got kind of yeah. their own take on what DevSecOps actually means and where they yeah. insert into the you know the DevOps pipeline and you know whether it's AppSec related or yeah container scanning or whatever else you want to call exactly. it, right? Like, you know, Yeah, pretty much it. everything is DevSecOps these days. I mean, if you're yeah. doing some kind of monitoring, it's called DevSecOps. <laughs> Anything <Yeah>. is DevSecOps. <laughs> it's, just, it's just one more, you know, keyword to put on your resume. So you yeah. get like, you know, you, you get hit up by LinkedIn recruiters. That's that's what it's for, right? In fact, I've, I've uh, I mean, I interview a lot of folks. So uh, someone who can just, you know, access an Amazon console and spin up an EC2 is calling himself or herself a DevOps person and a <laughs> DevSecOps person if they run some kind of vulnerability scan on that box. So <laughs> that's the... Yeah. I, I, like, I mean, this was always it, right? Like when it first came out, because like I think about early on my in my career, like we built basically DevOps tools, right? And, yeah. you know, oh, we're pushing code into, you know, different environments. And this is, that's what DevOps was, right? Even though it was, there was right. a clear separation between like the administrators and the developers. But uh, like you talk to somebody like that and you're like, okay, right. Dev, DevOps, when it initially came out, was basically just Jenkins, right? Let, let's be yeah, honest. Yeah. It was just Jenkins. Yes. That was, yes. And it would just move code from different environments and had like a bunch of rules that you could write. I mean, which is great. It made things super easy. And, uh, you know, because Ken, that's what we used as well. Um, 
and now like that as people script it up and they you know they're trying to make it sexy they became devops oh i guess we kind of lost ken there Uh oh no anyway but so there was that uh i'm sure i'll be back here shortly but yeah there he is (laughs) hi ken stupid internet (laughs) (laughs) but you know and then it's progressed from there right so there's other tools that people drop in there um, yeah but AWS definitely with their code builder and their code pipeline stuff, I think that pushed a lot of it as well. Um, yeah. So it wasn't just Jenkins anymore. It became, all right, now there's other tools that are involved. And obviously like the yeah. Kubernetes stuff, Docker instances, being able to spin up yeah. and down, it just becomes more and more complex. Um, yes. So is that, I mean, is that like, you know, talk a little bit about the course that you're teaching the DevSec or the DevOps masterclass, you know. Uh, DevSecOps uh, masterclass, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, so uh, the first two days are essentially a little AppSec focused where we start off with static analysis, uh, source composition analysis, and different strategies to implement that in the pipeline, right? So you have different tools that you can use, and there are obviously strengths and weaknesses. So some tools are syntax tree driven, and some tools are regex driven, some tools are a combination of both those things. So we kind of look at both those things, and then we start getting into a, how do you do static analysis in a pipeline? So how do you implement it with pull requests? How do you do it with more traditional Jenkins-like environments and stuff like that? So uh, that's a little bit. And then we, in fact, a lot of the stuff we cover after that is around dynamic scanning. So we actually do a deep dive into Burp and Zap's API that okay. you can use to script up as part of continuous scanning. So we kind of use stuff like Selenium and other orchestration test automation frameworks passing that through Zap's API, proxying all of that traffic, and then producing like uh, parameterized scans rather than trying to do, you know, you're just your uh, spray and pray kind of scans that we typically see with a lot of DAS tools. So we look at that and then we look at orchestrating all of this in multiple pipelines as part of the build process, as asynchronous pipelines. So it's really hands-on. So they get like a full hands-on experience of what they're doing. The, the next day is uh, day three is very cloud centric. So we look at AWS and Azure and how you can do all this stuff there and how you can use different AWS things. So like you can use a lot of AWS services like lambdas and step functions to trigger a lot of security tasks. Uh, so that's something we look at. We look at how you can do this within AWS. So how you can implement some kind of cloud security automation for slightly more traditional EC2 type stacks versus serverless, you know, very, very API gateway driven stacks. So we look at, you know, we contrast both those. So we do very cookbook style classes where we kind of give you like a challenge to solve and help you solve it through the way. So they kind of learn on the, you know, uh, it gives them a much better perspective of uh, how to do it actually when they get to work. So a lot of people have come back to us and said, you know what, I was able to take your code and just immediately get started with it. Yeah, uh, as the class ended. So that's kind of where you know, we kind of do a better job on many ways. Cool. Yeah, I was going to ask about the Lambda tasks, uh, Lambda security driven or Lambda security centric tasks. Are those mm-hmm. like event driven? Event driven? Like if an event occurs? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So in fact, uh, recently we did. I did a talk in AppSec Cali where we used only Lambdas to run uh, DevSecOps pipeline. So. Uh, using step functions in Lambda. So you make a GitHub pull request, it automatically triggers a Lambda that scans the last, the affected files, and it would give, it would write a comment back to GitHub's pull request, and then 
you know, source composition scan as well and write that back to a pull request. Oh, so is it, okay. So is it like scan, so it sees a new pull request open. Does it scan the diff of the files changed? And yes. Then it, yes. Just like if there's anything, because we do something similar internally, but we don't use Lambda for that. But that's an interesting, like that's an interesting way to do that. Um, is it? Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, I really like that idea. So, like, if 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 something's detected in that diff that might be like potentially yes. an issue, that's when it. Okay, nice. That yeah. So the idea here or, is so, so it actually like posts a comment back like this is potentially yes. dangerous. Yeah. Nice. So it kind of uh, formats it into a nice markdown table and says, "Hey, these are the issues, line number so and so." Uh, you have this bug, whatever. Um, so it kind of so the idea here, uh, especially from my AppSec Alley talk, was that you don't need persistent infrastructure to do CI/CD. Yeah, you sh uh, because that's going to get popped. Jenkins gets popped all the time. Why yeah, are you running Jenkins? Why are you running Jenkins? I mean, what do you expect? Because it's how else are we supposed to get remote code execution? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> during the the <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, the, the, that was one of my quotes. I said, "You are." You are expecting a remote code execution platform to not have remote code execution. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> How is that going to happen? It's it's not going to yeah. work. So that's why I my talk was largely using step functions, lambdas, Fargate, and ephemeral environments to run CI/CD. So that was the you know premise of the talk, and I, I really took a giant crap over. Jenkins. That was the opinionated <laughs> part of the talk. But, uh. Dude, I've been doing that in DevOps talks for like years, so don't worry yeah. about it. <laughs> yeah, those things, have, I mean, it's like horrible. And honestly, like, to even understand how to secure it somewhat is like, yeah, you're not running across. No, it's, 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 it's oh, extremely yeah. complex, right? It's It has so yeah. many plugins. It's like WordPress, right? Yeah. You, you can't secure WordPress. You can try uh, as much as you can, but there's one plugin that's always going to hose you and that, you know, that's some random plugin which does some SMTP thing somewhere and that's going to have remote code execution. So, yeah. yeah. They'll alert you later once somebody's publicly <laughs> yeah. announced that it's vulnerable. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. But, yeah. In the meantime... Yeah. No, it's hard. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a very complex ecosystem, so it's and the point is, you don't need it. In fact, GitHub, GitLab, I think most of their, I mean, I'm sure you uh, can, uh, would be able to probably give it a better spin than I have, but Git, uh, Git, most of these environments are ephemeral anyway. So why do you want to run you know, persistent infrastructure? Yeah. yeah. That's the point. Yeah. I, I, I mean, here's a question for you. Have you ever had someone in your training, like have a Oh crap moment. And then they go in and like to their own work console and try to fix something. I'm curious if you've ever experienced that. Uh, I have definitely. Uh, it happens a lot, especially with the AppSec training. So like secure developer training. So that's when I talk about, let's say template injection and they're like, Oh, okay. We're using, Pug and is can this happen? And I'm oh. like, yes, it can happen. And they're like, you know what? I'm just gonna take a break for like 15 minutes. <laughs> I gotta call somebody. <laughs> oh yeah, that, that happens a lot. Yeah, it happens a lot. Yeah. There's yeah, a reason that's... we use we try to go with the pave path for template languages because we've had a like a couple where the the um operators weren't well documented, they were like mm -hmm. unsafe and they just allowed you to put anything in like they weren't. There's no coding. There's no escaping. Oh, and uh, yeah. so, yeah, there's like a good reason now we try to lean towards like a paved path on on a lot of things. But templates is one of them as well. 
just like yeah nightmare to oh yeah it's, that it's hard yeah it's hard yeah especially with the 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 remote code execution possibilities on those things are just crazy it's it's just mind-boggling and it's so easy to exploit you just run tpl map and you get shell <laughs> it's, it's yeah it's really it's really sad it's like isn't like pug and nunjux those two are pretty like easy to to get an rce on on template injection if i'm not mistaken i can't i think nunjux for sure i'm not sure about pug i've dealt with ginger too uh oh, yeah. pug and free marker and java and all three of them are pretty easy to exploit ginger <laughs> too is like trivial you can pretty much do anything you want i think tim tones wrote a blog post about remote code execution with Jinja, if I'm not mistaken, Landmaster 53. Um, yeah. Yeah. He's like, it's pretty trivial. It's crazy. Yeah. Oh, you can pretty much do anything you want with those. Those are fun <laughs> vulnerabilities. In fact, in fact, I think in one of the classes we did, uh, we used a template injection to steal environment variables from Lambda, which have the AWS session ID and tokens and stuff like that. And use that <laughs> to gain complete persistence over the AWS environment. So that's kind of like some of the, you know, red team aspects of some stuff we did. Speaking of which, did you see that their meta endpoint for AWS? Well, of course you did. I mean, you, you're yeah, this is what you do. But but Seth, I don't know if you'd seen this that AWS has like changed their their. You know how they had the they have the version one of their meta credentials where you just do like a get request yeah. to actually get the credentials. Well, now it's like a two part step. So it's. I think I don't remember. I think it's like a put or something like that to the yeah uh, yeah to the endpoint, and then it gets gives you back a token to to then make the get request to get request. the credential. So it's like a two step thing. So it's not like just it's a version two. So yeah, it's not so SSRF. It's not, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's the SSRF prevention stuff. I I mean we we talked about that I don't know, that episode was a long time ago. I think that oh, was did we. we? Yeah, at some point. Well, no, no, no. We didn't uh, talk about version two. We were talking about version one. No, no, no. Because we had oh. Will on Bankston, right? Uh, right. And he was talking about how he had made like a proxy that would would handle that for you know the team. Oh, I think Netflix that he was working with at the time, like whatever. Yeah. Right? Um. But yeah, it's it, it it's not surprising, right? That 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 that's there. I mean, if you could find template injection or something like that, though, all bets yes. are off, right? Because you can yeah. do a put, right? It doesn't. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Once you can start crafting it, and it's not strict SSRF, you know, all bets are off. I don't know. It, like, I'm, I compare Jenkins a lot to like some of those. I, I, you know, you you talk about the RCE stuff, right? But I um, like a a database like utility, right? Like when you install something that is a database utility and has a console on mm -hmm. it, or like you can write yeah. straight SQL. Guess what? Mm -hmm. You're gonna have SQL injection, right? It's there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, you're not going to get away from it. Like you, you can secure it all you want, but the second that you give anyone permissions to it, it's done. Yeah, it, yeah, it's just done. So, like, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. As far as using like serverless or the ephemeral stuff, uh, like I feel like that's the way AWS was trying to push us with Code Pipeline and mm -hmm. um, you know Code Build stuff like that. Um, GitHub makes that really easy to do. So. Yeah. So 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 basically the 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 theme for this episode is don't use Jenkins. Is that you know, is that what you want us to tag it with? <laughs> yeah, I, I guess. Don't use Jenkins. Don't don't use away. Jenkins or any <laughs> Yeah. Jenkins is be. WordPress. Yeah, got it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I like the title is. of that. 
<laughs> nice. Are there any trends you're seeing with your customers that are like, because somebody was asking, um, somebody was asking for Seth and I's uh, kind of quote on trends. And I think the mm -hmm. one thing we talked about was, you know, the, the, the NPM team building sort of like a, a security risk API where they use different metrics to sort of, to say whether or not this package might be like a higher risk mm -hmm. uh, package. So we definitely think that the like, that's one trend that's kind of popping up is just like the, the, the open package managers kind of moving towards uh, securing the supply chain. But I was thinking about it and I couldn't really think of, I don't think Seth and I really, there wasn't a lot else that was brand new that we could think about in the, um, you know, in the AppSec sort of space. Um, I'm not sure if on the DevSecOps or AppSec uh, front, you're seeing some new trends or anything that, you know, your customers are kind of talking about. Um, clearly you're doing some work with Kubernetes and containerization and securing that, which is its own right thing yeah so one trend that i think definitely i i don't know whether it's it's gonna stay uh but i hope it does uh is the whole um authorization and generally security controls outside of the application kind of thing so hmm. the, the i mean uh, i probably didn't phrase it well so the idea here is that you have frameworks that are specialized to do very specific things that sit outside the application either in a proxy or in some other you know as a sidecar container or you know some other injected container into that environment that handles security decisions so like authorization for instance you don't need to make changes to your application but there is this library like open policy agent or something like that that handles authorization for you as a uh, service uh, so you don't so you, you, the idea here is that developers don't need to build any security controls into their app, it's kind of taken care of from these third-party frameworks that handle different aspects of security in very, very specific ways. So like things like, uh, you know, uh, open policy agent is one, uh, service meshes for Kubernetes is one. This is, uh, in fact, even like RBAC stuff with a lot of the frameworks, uh, I'm seeing that uh, there's likely, especially in, uh, I kind of follow a lot of the uh, DevOps events, not the security events so much nowadays, because that's kind of where we're going and security is kind of six months to two years behind that. Right. That curve. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm seeing that most of them are getting into things like Spiffy, which is mutual authentication and authorization between services or open policy agent where it's managed policy as a service with you know, with code. So you write out code that's essentially like a, uh, you know, a Golang file, a Rego file or something like that. And it essentially manages the authorization, manages the rules for your, the way you run stuff, the way you authorize people, the way you pretty much do anything. So is yeah. that, is that because you have multiple applications that all need to go through a central service and like, I hate to use the stupid buzzword, but like microservices and yes. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's pro that's that's the biggest reason why, right? And today, if you look at the, uh, especially in uh, Kubernetes or cloud native stacks, the proxy uh, the proxy paradigm has gotten really robust, especially with stuff like Envoy or API Gateway and stuff like that. That's really good. So it's really powerful. It has a lot of features. 
and it's very extensible. So people are kind of loading that up with all of these different policy-driven stuff and admission controller stuff and other authorization controls that you can do without ever having to touch the business logic of that application. So you don't have to sit and worry so much about your microservice getting compromised through an authentication bypass or an authorization bypass. Uh, I mean, this is a utopian state, obviously. I'm, uh, I don't think we're there yet. But uh, the idea here is that these frameworks do one thing and one thing only, and they do it really well so that you don't have to worry about it so much. And you can control these as separate elements. So kind of breaking up security as a microservice, so to speak, you know, uh, or different aspects of security as microservices itself. I mean, Seth, you've got experience integrating some of, because uh, like I know you did some work with, you showed me some work with Cognito and API gate, Gateway, and uh, yeah. that's pretty sweet, man. Like, like it seems like Cognito has a ton of options for the, yeah. for the actually like handling of authentication. Um, well, yeah, and it makes it like, I, I mean, Cognito, you can plug in there, or even things like Ping and other, right? There's other providers that you can throw in as yeah. a back end. And exactly yeah. what Abhay is saying, like that's definitely the way that, development seems to be going is uh, like we've always said you know crap like why are we building like why am i writing yet another password routine right a password checking routine yeah exactly. a, a registration page um yeah. and so it, and so it's actually being abstracted out now which makes sense especially in large organizations but uh the cloud providers now give you those tools i mean part of it is they want to lock you in right you start yeah. using yeah. cognito you start you're you're kind of locked into AWS and you can't really switch off of that without having all your users log in and like pull passwords into a different system. And so it's a, you know, it's kind of a vendor cloud lock-in, um, but -hmm. it also makes it super easy to get up and running because I can just basically be like, oh, I just need, you know, use Cognito and then give me these parameters back, right? Give me the username or the user ID token plus a couple other, you know, their name and whatever it is. And then I don't care because I can map on my end as far as what their authorization level is and everything else. Um, yeah. But then, to be fair, I mean, yeah. like authentication and authorization was already abstracted out before, if you think about it, because what do most people do? They just put those libraries into their application code and just like set the options yeah. and use it as and their go. documentation told you. Yeah, and go. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, you're right, you know, from a Django contrib auth or whatever else, right? Like you're using Rails or whatever uh, platform or framework you're, you're at. Um, I think they're just abstracting it further, right? So instead of right. having embedded in, like Abhay is saying, into the application, so that's something we have to worry about from a code review perspective. All I'm looking at now is, oh, how is it handling that communication with that microservice? Because I know that that's already been checked as opposed to, right. oh, you know, what are the settings here locally? So With API Gateway, I can't remember too many details so is that do you what with that do you just put in your um your list of endpoints and like i don't i've never messed with it configured it at all so i'm not sure like can you like how does a like how yeah well how does api gateway work and look so i have used it largely in the context of lambda so mm -hmm. so you can uh so lambdas are event driven so you can use api gateways as event sources so you can say slash login if somebody makes a post request to slash login, then invoke this login Lambda. That yep. would give you a response. And you can also add in stuff from Cognito and say that, hey, you know what? Uh, when are you, any request is coming into this particular route, just make sure that it is from this user pool. So it will automatically do the JWT stuff. It will do the authorization. 
it you don't need to worry about that at all because cognito and you know uh, the api gateway talk to each other and they've kind of figured it out yeah so just like <laughs> you know what kind of figure it out it's <laughs> magic <laughs> don't worry about it it works <laughs> Yeah, it does. It, it is it's, kind of magic. It's, yeah, it is. It's it's nothing short. It is. Really. Yeah, yeah. No. It's, so, and the same thing goes for any apps or you know wherever you're sending it behind the scenes, right? When the API gateway comes in, like that's where I've used it most of the time as Lambdas as well, yeah. right? It's like, yeah. hey, if it's going to this specific endpoint, you know, I've got to make sure that it's got the token on it, right? And then yeah. I pass it through, and the Lambda itself is checking the authorization to see whether or not they're. Um, you know that they have privilege to invoke that, but at the very least, the authentication layer, that access control layer, is handled by API Gateway. And I, if I'm worried about it, like I want to check the logs, I go look in CloudWatch, right, in CloudTrail, yeah. and yeah. that's where it's all at. And I don't have to. I'm like not maintaining a database of that anywhere, or it's all just, exactly. Yeah, it makes it pretty easy and pretty slick. Like you'd be surprised how quick you can get that up and running with an endpoint on it, and and you don't have anything outside of a little bit of code in Lambda and it works. So, yeah. Oh yeah. It's, it's in magic fact, time. Magic time. In fact, it is magic yeah. time. In fact, before the whole Cognito thing, we had a project. In fact, it's still, uh, it's our lab project that we still use for a lot of training. We wrote the entire JWT thing ourselves, the password thing ourselves. But then, I mean, uh, we kind of, in the new version of that same product, we just use API gateways and authorizers and that's it. We, it took like, one tenth the time it took to actually get that previous stack up and running. It was super fast. Yeah, that's amazing. It is nice yeah. that, that there are all these tools exist now, and all this like stuff is just available to folks. Uh, you know, no more easily seek error-based SQL injectable. You know, <laughs> forms that are just using horrible authentication schemas and sending password forgotten password uh, emails with plain text passwords and just all that crap yeah. we've seen over the years. It's, it's, I mean, that's kind of cool that there's more and more of this being sort of. It, it is, but it, like, I also do, I, I, I do feel like we're getting into like almost a mono culture of, you know, frameworks yeah. though. Right. So mm, it's exactly. called microservices, but I, I mean, how many of these are actually using Cognito and using API gateway? So like it's it's putting a bigger target on those services and mm. like it hasn't happened yet, but when someone finds a vulnerability in that base level service, there's going to be shit to pay. Like it's going to like, yeah, I, I mean, shit's going to hit the fan and like, we'll see you know what happens there, but it's like, like we've only got, you know, three or four different big cloud providers that actually provide yeah. those services that are used in that manner. And yeah. So, so it's it's a trade off. It, it really is. So. Do you remember when S three went down, and, and everybody who used S three like the internet went worked, down? Yeah, just went down for the day. It was just done. All the providers <laughs> because S three went down, and everything like relied upon it, and nobody realized how much of the internet relies upon S three until it was it was down. It was hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. No, in fact, this in fact the the cognito thing. I mean, it was not cognito was not compromised, but uh, there's a whole bunch of attacks where uh, if you use AWS Amplify and Cognito, you have a lot of the uh, secrets exposed to the client side if you're not careful. Yeah, and somebody uses that and you know is able to completely compromise your Cognito identity pool yeah. through that and. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, yeah. And so because like I, I you know, 
internal to Redpoint, like me and another guy are working on a little product, like, you know, same sort of stuff. And like, we, we looked at Amplify and that was one of the reasons we like, we're like, oh, no, never mind. We're just yeah. going to implement this by hand. Well, because it, it, yeah. you start, we started looking at what was, what was exposed in the S3 bucket, like along with all the Amplify files. And I was like, holy crap, right? Like, yeah, uh, yeah everybody can dump our entire user base, right? Based on you know, the, the creds that are in no, there. You, yeah, if, you, if you're not careful, you can just have a massive... In fact, we uh, started development on Amplify, and uh, for, for more than just this reason, we decided to, uh, you know, call it quits in the middle because it was it was too much. I mean, the, yeah. the uh, opinionated aspect of Amplify was a little too much for us to deal with. So yeah, yep. it sounds like we have a similar take on that because that was it. Like, <laughs> yes. I was like, oh, this is going to be an e easy way to get up and running. But then it's like, yeah. well, how do I do this? Oh, now you have to decouple everything. And, you know, it's going to take more to figure out how Amplify is doing it than it would be to just go and code something up in React or whatever else and just call API Gateway behind the scenes. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, that's interesting. That, yeah. So, I don't know. I, I mean, if that's... Yeah, if it works for you, great, but just be careful with it, I guess. With yeah. No, yeah. No, it is. It's, yeah, it's, like it's not... It's, yeah, it's just like, yeah. But I, that that was the other thing that I wanted to bring up was like I know when we had Manico on you know a year plus ago we were talking about this like he's got this whole idea of hey there's the one true framework that's going to come out that's going to solve all security problems like just get rid of XSS completely right and everybody everybody uses it will be good um, I don't know do you, do you feel like are, are you on a similar are you of a similar opinion? Right? Like microservices is now kind of the way for, you know, to prevent vulnerabilities. Um, is that where you see development going and like with DevOps, is it solving no. the security problems or just, you know, where are you at with that? No, in fact, I just saw an article, not just an article, a lot of people uh, who I respect on Twitter and I mean, and generally in the tech world saying that microservices are a pain in the ass and we need to move to monoliths again. <laughs> And that's happening. In fact, uh, there's a lot of people who are just saying that microservices is just an excuse to put distributed monoliths. So I don't see, they're not seeing the real value of microservices, especially if you're deploying thousands upon thousands of services, it's becoming much harder to secure, especially with uh, the complexities involving things like service meshes and the way they network and service discovery. Yeah, It's not easy to do at all. It's it's not easy well, to do at all, and and that's what takes me back to like the whole: Do you really need Kubernetes, right? Um, right. That, and the discussion is like you've got a small application, and a and monolith is probably going to serve you just as well as, if not better, because of the complexity yes. that you add, right? Yes. There there are certain organizations that need Kubernetes and need to have those microservices decoupled, and they need to to be yes. able to to structure it like that, but. Uh, just because it's it's the hot topic doesn't mean that your organization needs it or that you're serving it well by implementing something that you're going to have to go and learn more about. So it's yeah, yeah it, it's a strange trade off and yeah, no, that's 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 tech for you, right? We've we've always lived in a state of neo mania, right? Whenever something new has come out, we've jumped on the bandwagon almost immediately, and we've had these early adopters. Not just early adopters, early adopters influencing everybody else, and everybody else kind of hopping on that train. So it's 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 always been what tech has been about. I think yeah. it's just that with Kubernetes, I think uh, 
the way I see it with Kubernetes, Kubernetes is great technology, but the thing that scares me about it is the size of the entire uh, landscape. It's yeah. so huge and it's getting huger and huger and huger day by day. So that's what gets me. And for me, uh, I personally prefer things like serverless or something or lambdas where you don't need to worry about it. But my point is, and whenever I speak to any of my customers who are going into microservices or anything to do with Kubernetes or even cloud, my point is you need to be 10 times more disciplined than you were with doing my monoliths because you need observability, you need logs, you need better monitoring, you need, that needs to be your focus area. And that's where you're going to spend all your time and resources and not the app itself. The app itself is not a big deal. It's the discipline that you put in for validation, for logging, which is going to actually make make or break your security for that application or for those set of applications. Yeah, yeah, and I would argue even just not security, but operations, right? Yeah, like exactly. When, yeah. It, when it was a monolith, when it was sitting in your data center, you could have like your system administrator log in and check the logs, right? Whoever was yeah. on call, like, and, and act as first level support. The second that yeah. you push into Kubernetes, it's like, okay, you got to have someone that knows Kubernetes and the application and the, your deployment yeah. actually yeah. available to troubleshoot anything. Because yes. if you don't, like it could be a network, it could be the proxy, it could be the app itself, right? Like there's just so much more going on with it. That, yeah. yeah, yeah, the complexity is gonna kill you from a security perspective and from an operational perspective, so. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it it can be incredibly powerful and useful, but it's not the, I, I don't yeah, know. It, it, not, it comes not, back to discipline. Yeah. It comes yeah, back it to discipline. If you don't have discipline, before you're not going to suddenly get disciplined just because you go microservices that's not going to happen it's it's largely about if you if you have a good set of practices doing this then you will be considered doing that and that will make it better but a lot of people just jump on it because they think it's going to solve all the problems and that's wrong yeah <laughs> <laughs> no yeah it, it solved all my problems it makes my coffee in the morning now so don't worry about it <laughs> Sweet. Well, uh, Abe, we've been going for an hour. I know it's it feels like we've only been talking for like 15 minutes, but yeah, no, oh my God, yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah, it's a little over an hour. Yeah, and, and, yeah, and this is what always happens, right? Is like we we have a lot that we and I, I don't think we like really even dug into your background outside of when you started We 45. So <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll we'll have to get you back on. Um, sure, but yeah, but before we we call it for today. Uh, where are you where are you going to be in the near future? How can people contact mm. you? Uh, like, what, what's your next couple of months look like? So yeah, the most of my uh, the next couple of months is stuff that I'm going to be working on for August and out. So a lot of okay. the research stuff for the classes, as well as so we're building a new online training product uh, which is going to launch in April. Uh, so it's going to be a lot of the stuff that we teach in conferences is going to be online with our labs online as well so i'm kind of busy with that right now uh we're going to be launching that in april uh other than that i am uh available on twitter on at abhay bhargav that's first name last name i do a lot of, nowadays i'm doing a lot of live code videos and stuff like that to kind of uh you know put some content out to the community so you can follow me for that and you know 
Cool. Get, so like Twitch have, streams or uh, is that what no, you're doing? No, just YouTube. Just YouTube, YouTube videos. Not I, oh. I don't, I'm not good enough to be live yet. I'm just going to like record these videos and put them up on YouTube. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, we'll we'll find you online, and I'm sure we'll see you at a at, at an upcoming conference here. Um, yep. Any last minute advice or things that you wanted to talk about before we we end it for today? Oh, uh, not really. I I think uh, yeah. I mean, I think this was especially around microservices and uh, stuff around cloud native and DevSecOps. It's like I said, it's very important to be disciplined. I think I think we dug into that. Threat modeling is very important to do that. Try and figure out easier ways to do that. That's yeah, uh, cool. uh, this what I want to say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we appreciate you taking the time um, to come talk to us. You know, it's thank you for having me. Yeah. It's, it's, it's yes. been a while that we've been talking about it. And, oh yeah. yeah. So we finally wow, we, we love chatting with you. Yeah, no, it was it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Well, good. Uh Ken, anything else that you want to bring up for today? Uh, just a reminder, uh, two things we are again, giving our black hat course. Um, I'll, we are going to start promoting it more. We haven't been, I specifically haven't been very good about that, but we'll promote it more. Um, the second part was next week we're on a break. Um, I've taken vacation and I don't feel like podcasting from a vacation. So, uh, we're back on the, yeah, I know. Right lazy bum uh is it the third so march 17th we are back yeah uh but yeah next week we're taking a little break so i think we've got oh next so on march 17th we have kevin johnson secure ideas he's going to join the podcast um yeah so cool that's it and then just thank you for joining yeah. again because we i've like we've been trying to set this up for a long time you have a lot of info in your your head and we were able to get some of it, but I feel like we could chat for four hours and still not touch, yeah. you know? No, it was a lot I mean, of fun. I, I had a great time. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. All thanks. right. Thanks everybody for joining. Uh, we'll see y'all in a couple of weeks. Find us online. All right. Bye. Bye.